So today I'm joined by Bruna Soravia, an Islamic historian living in Rome, who's written widely on the history of Muslim Spain, um, more properly known, of course, as Al-Andalus. Welcome, Bruna, to the podcast. Hi. Hi, Charles. Thank you again for agreeing to take part. I thought we might begin um, with your recent publication. It's called Secretaries and the Running of Government, which has been published in the Routledge Handbook of Muslim Iberia, edited by Maribel Fierro. Really, what's this chapter about and, and, and what are you trying to show in it? Yes, this chapter has been the answer to the question of what uh, was the government, the an, an Islamic and Arabic Islamic government like, and who was in charge of it? And this question was related in this volume to, to Al-Andalus, that is to the Islamic uh, Iberian Peninsula under Islamic domination. And the usual answer has been until quite recently that we don't know anything about this topic, this question, because everything related to government and administration has been mostly lost, but for a few papyri, which is also no more true because by the way we keep discovering more and more papyri uh, as the time goes by. On the other side, every scholar of the, Islam, the classical Islamic world know that there is a wealth of secondary, I, I do call them literary sources, related to the theory of government, to the theory of administration. These uh, texts were written either by scholars of Islamic law or by people who we know as Qutab. Qutab is a, could be easily tra- translated by scribes and actually they stay on a line of continuity with ancient Roman and late antiquity sc- scribes. These texts are mostly interested in principles more than in actual deeds. The only technical teaching contained in this text concerns the writing of letters and deeds, but deeds with a symbolic value. So this is more most we could call diplomatics than actually archival documents. And also they're deeply involved into technicalities related to style and language and uh, literary tradition. It is a huge body of literature, quite difficult to use, first of all, because it is written in in a language that is extremely convoluted and difficult, but also because we actually don't easily understand what they were made for. (laughs) what they aim to. So um, this was the the, the question I've been asking myself since since the beginning of my research, as far as Al-Andalus is concerned. Of course, the same questions apply to to the first Islamic empires, but this is a huge, huge topic. So I will will restrict myself to speaking of of Al-Andalus. Okay, so Al-Andalus is a kind of case study then for for the wider Islamic tradition here. I believe so. And it is much easier, of course, to handle than, I don't know, the Abbasid Empire, which has thousands and thousands of such texts to be considered. In the course of this endeavor, I realized that there was no government nor administration as we are used to think, but rather a quite fluid institutional entity supported not by a political ideology, not by rules, not by a matter of efficacy, but balancing on an uneasy mixture of religious and traditional norms. 
also continually, which is very, very interesting, continually adjusting to the to the needs of this huge and heterogeneous empire stretching from the European European Atlantic to Asia to to Africa. This might explain to me why the the technician of this kind of government couldn't be really bureaucrats as we are used to think of. But they were rather people deeply embedded in this amorphous institution and whose main task was to represent to the subjects the truly orthodox and traditional face of this uh, of the older of power, whoever he be. This doesn't mean that there wasn't a steady flow of documents actually produced by this administration, but that the power with the capital P was more interested in its own representation than in day-by-day business of of Mm. documenting itself. This is why I believe they weren't really interested in keeping these, these documents, which is not true, by the way, for the religious administration. As we know by now, the real day-by-day administration of the subjects of the first Islamic empires was done by the religious class. Mm-hmm. And this religious class used to keep very good archives that are in partly extant. And we also, I, I, I also use them because they intersect, of course, the mm-hmm. secular power and, and administration. So when we're looking, Bruno, we, so in Al-Andalus, we're looking for how government works and we've got these texts about letters and actually some of the letters themselves. And your point is that this isn't, I mean, this is how government works. These letters are how government works, even though they seem very literary. They are, um, we need to rethink what we mean by government in this context. Yes, this is how government wanted to be seen by its subjects. And it wanted to be seen this way because it tells, it had to convince them to pay taxes. No, this, this is the main, of course, the main. Follow the money, always about the no, money. All the money, it says, yes, no, no theory, no, no, no principle, all the, only, only money. And, and so they had to, to, to present themselves as, as truly orthodox and, and uh, in good terms with the religious class, but also as uh, fully in the, how do you say, into the traditional Arabic literary heritage. And and this was the work of these scribes. These scribes, I, I'm sure that all the scribes I have been studied since, I don't know, the last 30 years, did also simple administrative stuff. But what has been kept of, of their writings is also the highest register of their writings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the, in a way then you're saying that's the stuff, that's the important stuff which, which was kept, not just survived, but was kept yeah, and preserved. Yeah, so. yeah. Really, this leads me on to, I mean, your work spans Al-Andalus, Muslim Iberia quite widely, but this podcast, I'm particularly interested in the 11th century. In the 11th century, of course, we get the fragmentation of the Caliphate of, of Cordoba into these Taifa um, um, emirates. Um, am I right then that every Taifa emirate would have some of these scribes? Yeah, yeah. of course. No, this, this, was, this was in a way the golden age of, of, of Andalusian Kitaba, because, of course, each one of these very small kingdoms wanted to be presented in the best way because they had to to take money from their subjects so this so there was a real real fight to to get the the best kutab and the best kutab were the ones who were the most literate 
and of course the most le- difficult to to understand for us but the good thing is that we have re- really a, a huge literature on this kutab written in the in the 11th century that has to be to be understood and translated to to better know what they were meant for Okay, so this is the 11th century then is a good time in, in I should say, of course, the 11th century in Western chronology, right? Because it's, it's not the 11th century in, in Al-Andalus, which uses, um, which uses Muslim chronology, where it's, I think, the mid-6th century, you can correct the, me. The 5th, 5th, 5th century. Um, this is a good time to be a, a, um, a kitab in, in, in the 11th century, because there are lots of rulers who might want to use your uh, skills. Um, were the relations between rulers and kitab always good or not good i mean how how did it how did that relationship work do we know oh this is an interesting question uh, actually the the 11th century was also a good time for to to be to be a katib which, which is the singular of kutab because the the kutab had the uh, they say the the higher end the in the in this relation because they were really king makers they could they could really have the power of imposing a small king through their writings but this was not always so of, of course when the when the power was stronger the the kutab were suffering much more because they had they they were punished they were they had to compete with other kutab and and this is the story of of the of the kingdom before and after the the taifa period i i am studying now the almoravid domination which came after the taifa period and the Almoravids were much more ruthless to their kutab. The balance of power shifts a bit, and yeah. in the eleventh century, the the these scribes they are they have the best of this. They they, they have more power in these negotiations yeah. with. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and and it was by far the best way for for a gifted child of the as you say the middle class of the of the time to become powerful and to have money. I mean, to become a katib. And they do, and they, their power essentially comes from their ability to confer legitimacy on on people who want to rule, on on claimants to yes. to yeah. yes, yes. These these small kings, the Taifa kings, were completely delegitimated in the sense that they had no absolutely no tradition to appeal. So they needed this this kutab to elaborate this, uh, as you say, the, this narrative about themselves, about the, mm. the their kingdom. So yeah. they did very, very important. And I guess they want the best. And yeah, okay. And the best scribe will, will be the most of the most useful. Yes, yes. Can I move it on, Bruno, a bit more generally um, about the history of Alain de Luce? And I guess this is a podcast, as you know, on 11th century Europe. I've taken a geographical perspective on this. So what is what essentially, I guess, what is now considered to be Europe, which includes Spain, which was mostly in this period Alain de Luce, so Muslim control. Um, how... Do you think that the history of Al-Andalus relates to narratives about European history? It's a big question. <laughs> yes. First, I have to to make a premise. My first degree has been in Romance philology, so I was fully trained in the in uh, in medieval European history. So, but what still amazes me now that I consider myself a full fledged student of classical Islam is how deep was the gap between the two worlds in this in this in this time and of course the upper side was the islamic side i mean the the andalusian society was so 
more refined and advanced and interesting and literate than the, than the Western one. And um, I am sure, of course, we all know that the, this society was the, was the model Western societies of the time tended to aim to. But mm -hmm. what is um, frustrating is that we really don't know how this modeling took place in the in, in sense that we know that there should have been a passage of notions of literature, of any kind of, of intellectual notion from, from the two worlds, but we, we don't have witnesses of, of this. Mm -hmm. So we, we need to, to resort to generalizations. Mm -hmm. But, but this is very, very true. And I, I'm sure that U European history wouldn't be the, the same without Al-Andalus, Al of course. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but th this is well known. I mean, if you only consider the, the school of translators of Toledo, but also, of course, poetry, this question of poetry, of literature is, is well, uh, well known. The problem is that we don't have re really texts to pin yeah. <laughs> to demonstrate yeah. this. Yeah, the mechanisms, I guess, of cultural exchange. Yeah. We know it happens, but we can't see how it happens. Yeah. Because because everything has been has been erased by the by the course of time. But uh, but what happened after in the Iberian Peninsula? So, mm. but but this is, I mean, of course, it is evident. I mean, your point, I think, about the difference between um, the the situation in Al Andalus and the wider is, is, is Islamic world. I think your your point about um, secretaries, in a way, illustrates that, doesn't it? I mean, there is no equivalent to these. There are scribes, of course, in 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 Western courts, but they're not. Yeah, their function is slightly different, basically. Yeah, yeah, no, no. I'm 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 sure. Of, of course, we all know also that this this matter of kitaba had a huge influence, for instance, on the on the court of Frederick II of Sicily. Mm -hmm. It fully patterned his court on the Islamic courts of his time. But this is well well known. But we we don't really know. Who, I mean, the the details of this modeling. Perhaps yeah. somewhere in the Geniza archives, something will come up. Who knows? Who knows? Maybe there'll be uh, some, some. Yeah, yeah, no, yes, or or a, a concerted effort by scholars of all over to reunite what we know, to assemble what what we know. Um, talking of scholars working on this, Alain Luce has been studied for a long time. Um, how do you think, Bruno? It's. I mean, how would you say it's? Its historiography has changed in recent years. Has there been more attention given to Al-Andalus or yeah, any particular themes that have, have come more important in its history? Yes, actually, Al-Andalus be, being a piece of European history, it has been also a mirror for, for many epochs and and the communities of scholars and even political communities. So, for instance, Francoist Spain was interested in demonstrating that Al-Andalus was fully European. And instead, what has, has been after the 1975 has been uh, an effort by Spaniards to demonstrate that Al-Andalus was a fully Islamic, of course, idiosyncratic domination in the in the. Iberian Peninsula and um, Al-Andalus has, has been a, a mirror for even for for American scholars to demonstrate the possibility of convivencia. This 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 was the key word up to uh, I would say fifteen years ago. You only read about this convivencia, which is, which is also a political myth in the sense that Al-Andalus was uh, was not such a, a haven for for uh, communities of, of all religion. So I guess Al-Andalus is, is interesting because it's a, it's a mirror, really. 
as to myself not being involved in any of these agendas, I have really tried to understand Al-Andalus as it is. I mean, as a, as a as an Islamic society projected in a not-Islamic environment. And I've tried to understand what is common to Islamic empires and, and what is new, what is what is really Andalusi. And is that easier for you, Bruno? Because I say, I mean, you are, you are, you are you're, you're based in Italy, you are Italian. Do you think that's easier for you to do that than, it, than someone based in Spain or, or not so much these days? It is materially for, for, for me very, very difficult because I, I live in Italy where you, you don't get good libraries, where, where you, you don't get grants or anything like, like this, especially for Al-Andalus, which is considered a Spanish affair. It is easier in the sense that I don't have, I, I believe I don't have ideological lenses. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I don't have an agenda. Yeah, and I think at that point as to obviously Spain, um, when it came out of the Francoist period, there's a lot of re-evaluation um, of, of, of history going on, which I guess, I think is, you're right, you can still see this continuing today. Yeah, yes, um, it's, it's still a field of, of a fight. <laughs> <laughs> Where do you think the future of research into Al-Andalus is, is going then, then, Bruno? What do you think this is going to be, is going to look like in the next, you know, in the next 10, 10 years? Will people still be asking similar questions or, or different kinds of questions, do you think? I I believe that Al-Andalus is becoming more and more Spanish in the sense that it is more and more geographically defined. So archaeology has been, is, is, is very important and will be even more important. And um, I hope, as to me, that uh, we will, will begin to translate more, which is important, because because this kind of Arabic is so difficult, so so restricted. To... Yeah, you still need to study it properly. You need Arabic, right? I mean, that's still yeah, the case. But yeah, but yeah. not and also not any Arabic, but this specific mm-hmm. 11th century Arabic. So mm-hmm. that's a very yeah high register. Okay, so yes, okay, so translations might, although they sound hard, might open up this. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And also, also, of course, we need to to be. Uh, I mean, we European European scholars need to be more in touch with our Arabic speaking colleagues, and uh, which which is already already happening. I mean, there, there's more and more interaction with the with the with Moroccan or Tunisian or mm-hmm. Egyptian. Which is where many manuscripts of of Al Andalusian works yeah. are, survive, right? In in, in yes. Morocco and Tunisia and. Uh... Yes, actually, actually, the other big field is the one of, of manuscripts. There are very good scholars, even in, the, in, in England, there is Umberto Bongianino, and of course Italian, a young Italian scholar who is doing a excellent work on Andalusian manuscripts. He has been discovering lots of, of them, and this is very, really fascinating. Okay, the future is bright. Um, Bruno, I usually end these podcasts by asking my, well, the, the, the interviewee, um, what, what, what are you working on at the moment? What is your current research? We've spoken a lot about this, this chapter on secretaries and the running government, but what are you working on now? Yes, I've just finished the translation, the notated translation of this handbook on Andalusi Kitaba, written by a, a Katib, a scribe of the 12th century, that is the Almoravid time. And uh, this is a very interesting text, first of all, because it, 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 it is um, perfectly conserved. So we, we can read it from the first to the, to the last page. And it is a, an amazing and original work of theory on the, on the Kitaba. 
and I've learned a lot from this text. And I've tried to to understand this as also as a as a witness to the period and to the intellectual milieu of this period, and it is it is very rich about these topics. So I and I I hope it will be published, let's say, by the end of this year. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's that's great. So you're translating that into. Yeah. This this is this will be translated in French. It, it has been translated in French. The title is La Maîtrise de l'Art de la Prose. That is the... The, um, the Master of the Art of Prose. The master, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> master of the Art of, of Prose. And the, the author is Ibn Abdel Rafour Al-Kalai. And this is my, my man. <laughs> okay, well, well, we're all looking forward to reading that, Brina, when it comes out. Thank you very much for your time uh, today. It's been wonderful to talk to you. Thank you. Ciao, ciao.